Yeah. The idea of gentrification. Today we're going to talk about gentrification concepts. Why property markets transform. Transformation is going to be uh, today's little education piece. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, lunchtime on a Friday um, and a couple of people sort of dialing in, which is pretty cool. So we're going to spend about 10 minutes today going through a property strategy, which I love, <clears throat> one which is known as transformation or gentrification. So, uh, yeah, Friday beers, says Ben. I agree. I can't wait to, uh, yeah, have one tonight. Um, all right, so let's kick it off. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about gentrification, what that ultimately means for for property investors, and how you can kind of understand it as a strategy and see if it's really right for what you're trying to achieve, perhaps from your property investment um, activity. I think the first thing that we need to con comprehend when it comes to understanding gentrification and how the influences of of activity work um, is firstly the idea of market growth and the idea of market market hopefully this is what's happened to my pen there we go what's wrong with your pen market share so uh, two very different things to be honest with you market growth and market share Market share is really important with the idea of uh, buying real estate for gentrification because as time passes, a suburb becomes more appealing if it's going through gentrification. The market share of less appealing properties disappears as the market gentrifies, and that is. Uh, the idea of the gentry coming to town. So it's quite important that if you are looking for eyeballs and equity from uh, doing a gentrification strategy, that you understand the market share and that at the end of the day, you're either going to buy something old and have to renovate for the gentry or you can design something nice from the beginning and the gentry will no doubt discover it because it will still be appealing. Uh, market growth, uh, we'll talk about how that works, but the first real lesson when understanding how gentrification ultimately unfolds is market share. You've got to understand that the gentry is completely different to the day you buy where there is no gentry. So your market share will change. If you buy um, something which is unappealing, by the time the gentry get there, then they're not gonna find it appealing um, at all. So that's kind of the first lesson. Second lesson, I think, when it comes to understanding the concept of gentrification, is the concept of time itself in the marketplace. Now, I like to teach time in real years because if I said to you what is long-term investing um, your answer may be different to the next person so I might say let's do a long-term property strategy and you'll be like 
yeah, six years and I'm talking 20 and you're talking six because I'm using the language long term. So I want to be really clear what, uh, how gentrification works and where it ultimately sits in time. So long term uh, is 21 years plus. Medium term is 13 to 20 years. Short term is one to 12 years and trading is one year. So um, as you can imagine, a lot of people also uh, tinker with real estate and uh, the tinkerers or speculators generally go from sort of one to six years. If the asset hasn't done what they want in one to six years, they tap out of the real estate marketplace. You see that a lot. Um, you know, the average hold for an investor is kind of like less than six years because real estate um, can be a little bit, little bit slow to do a cycle. Now, remember, um, ultimately, if you're buying, you know, a $500,000 property and you, you want it to become 1 million, that's a big journey. It has to do 100% to be uh, ultimately, um, you know, do its thing, right? So how it works is medium term is generally what I coach because you'll get anywhere from a 13 to 18 year property cycle, meaning you should get the result of this from your medium term. The cool thing though, if you buy the right property, it will actually transfer to the next property cycle. And that's why we like long-term investing because you can take an asset and buy it for a, a medium-term kind of dynamic but also go for another cycle. And this is again where, you know, how many cycles are you going to be investing for? You know, the reality is a lot of people would like to hold assets for a very, very long time. So uh, there's eight stages to gentrification and they relate to a medium-term strategy, eight stages. Uh, so when we break down the stages, they're kind of best broken down into four quadrants. And uh, each, oh, oops, each four quadrant, um, is each four quadrant has the opportunity to get a little bit of growth along this journey for 15 years. And that's why people like gentrification suburbs is because they transform in sort of little groupings, if you like, which is, you know, which is what it's all about. So the first grouping uh, is really the idea of broken windows and policy. This is this is when you go to a suburb and it's pretty derelict. It's pretty. It's not the nicest place. It's it's sometimes known as broken window theory. Um, the reality is the neighbourhood is not where wealthy people want to live, um, but it may be considered a bit of an up and comer, a bit of an ugly duckling. Usually the telltale sign is location. In other words, it's just too good a location or distance from something 
incredible to be worth what it's worth. Um, the second sort of part of the puzzle or the top part of the puzzle might go to is known as turbo gentrification. This is where like the, the gentry, the wealthy, uh, buy real estate in the suburb and pay a lot for it. Rich people will pay for nice real estate. They don't need uh, to buy problems like a broken window real estate marketplace. Once uh, full transformation has happened, really um, wealthy people will, you know, all want the, the asset and it will be considered cool, the place to be. It will be considered, um, you know, a nice suburb to own real estate. Social status around the suburb will be very, very strong. Um, along the journey, though, you get, for example, um, displacement and population shift. This is, is ultimately when prices start to move, people who are typically from the neighbourhood, so to speak, really can't even afford to live in the neighbourhood. Things start to become a little bit beyond their means to stay. So they eventually kind of get out of the marketplace or, uh, for example, they can't keep up with the rent or the cost of rent in the suburb, so they ultimately leave. Around here is what we sort of sort of talk about, intensive investment, um, pioneering investment. This is, this is kind of when policy makers and people start to go, you know what, it's a pretty good suburb why don't I go renovate or why don't I uh, buy a house or knock it down and rebuild, that kind of thing. So you start to get this kind of effect along this journey of different stages of the process. Now, the reality is if you, you generally get paid the most for a turbo gentrified suburb, but that doesn't actually mean the suburb's not going to increase in value. If anything, a, uh, a gentrifying or turbo gentrified suburb, you might pay a million dollars for the asset, um, but because it's a wealthy suburb, 10% growth is not a problem. You know, 1.1's not a problem for, for that market. So you're just constantly getting some pretty good growth. What you'll find down here is, you know, rather than paying a million dollars, because the suburb itself is not as uh, nice at this point in time, uh, and the social status of the suburb is not as well received, then, you know, you might be paying $600,000 or $500,000 for a similar asset. And again, it's not to say that the top is any better than the bottom. The reality is uh, if you've got less of a budget, you're probably going to have to go deeper before the transformation has happened. You know, when suburbs are fully transformed, they can be absolute capital growth hotspots because so many people want them. Before they're transformed, you're buying the problem of before they're transformed. 
And that is why I find that this journey of around 15 years is perfect for gentrification as a location property tactic. Because when you go back to following the principle of time in the market, uh, you're going to get some equity opportunities as the stages unfold with gentrification, but it will mirror its own sort of process. It will follow a medium-term cycle. But the great thing is when it's completely gentrified, it doesn't die. Like it doesn't stop growing. It actually rolls over to the next cycle. And that's one of the best things about gentrification is once you get to a price where it's worth a lot of money, it doesn't stop because wealthy people will pay more and there's more money at the top of the funnel in Australia than um, fundamentally the bottom. Uh, the reality is if you look at how Australia is, it's, there is no actual middle class in Australia anymore. It's kind of wealthier people or kind of like poorer people. Um, the middle class is quite quite a small group these days. So the gentry or buying for the gentry is a really good idea. The trick to it, and where I've certainly been burnt before, is making sure market share. You know, you've got to design something for the pursuant people who are coming to the neighbourhood. You don't want to hold something that basically uh, the displaced will own. Um, that's the concept of gentrification. Anyway, hope that was uh, interesting. Thanks very much for your time. Have a lovely weekend. Uh, whatever you get up to. Bye.